Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the November 13, 2022 session, focusing on Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25, the Big Rock Candy Mountain. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm David Adams. We live in very interesting times. And interesting might not be the word you would choose, but uh, there's certainly a lot to pay attention to. And um, and I think one of the dynamics of, it, quote, interesting times is that because there is such a high level of unpredictability, our, our usual ability to kind of predict, even though, you know, we really never can see the future, but we, we often have some predictability and it just feels like there's less of that now. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, given the times that we live in now, what what's something you are looking forward to and, and why? Well, I mean, for me, uh, I, I this may not be exactly what you're asking, but there's something I look forward to every day. I am a pretty strong extrovert, but I also wake up early and the rest of my family likes to sleep in. So what that creates is this hour or so of silence in the morning that used to be very difficult. I couldn't wait for everybody else to wake up, (laughs) but I still love that. But I I treasure that hour of silence. Um, And when I don't get it for whatever reason, (laughs) the day just doesn't feel the same. Yeah. So I don't know that time in the morning, that silence, Mm -hmm. I look forward to every time I wake up. During the pandemic, I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, I had never played as a kiddo, um, but some of my friends were playing. And so I joined in. And so I have a group that I play with just about every other Friday night. <laughs> and um, and I really look forward to that. Like, I can't wait until it's Dungeons and Dragons night. <laughs> Cause we have a, we have such a good time. And, um, I think that the, the make believe and role play and, um, acting a little bit is a really wonderful escape from reality. Yeah. Yeah. Good catharsis. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think I look forward to being at things where I see people with happy faces because we're just not seeing that many. You know, and it, it's literally a sight for sore eyes to come to some place where everybody seems to be happy and generally calm for a change. And they're not just looking over their shoulders and being worried. I am looking forward to the first snowfall. So <laughs> I, I I really love the seasons and yeah. I love the changing of the seasons. And for me, uh, growing up in the deep south, there wasn't many days of snow. <laughs> so um, the kid in me still really celebrates that first accumulating snowfall. I love watching it. I love the silence that it kind of creates in the world. Mm-hmm. It just is gorgeous. So, yeah, I'm, my wife would disagree with me, but. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm with Regina. That is beautiful the way you talked about it, but I utterly disagree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I do hope we all have uh, multiple things that we look forward to. It's uh, in spite of the unpredictability of the world, there is still uh, so much good and so much to be looking forward yeah. to. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we are in uh, Isaiah today, uh, and uh, David Adams is with us. Would you help us get started on this one? Sure. Recently, I have noticed that I am really starting to age. Actually, I'm the second oldest person on this podcast. Hey. <laughs> A decaying fossil who can still remember things like rotary phones, the dark scourge of disco music, and Supertramp. Uh, accordingly, many of the visions that make me the most comfortable are visions of old things from years ago. I remember how there were no fast food places anywhere around my home. How we only got four television channels if we stood the right way and the wind wasn't blowing. When music still had roll. Uh, eating cottage cheese with French dressing on top and playing outside without worrying about what some crazy person might wander by and do. Those were wondrous times, and like a dream to me, especially these days. I'm likely not alone in reminiscing about good old days. We're recording this on October 28th, and in the face of so many potential bad things that are worrying us, a more pleasant past helps me cope. Of course, I fully realize that one person's perceptions of good times will differ from another's. The concerns of a middle-class child awash in white privilege are very different from those of people who are either oppressed or who are dependent upon being able to oppress others. We all have things that we want to see happen or not happen, and we all remember things differently. Still, when you're being oppressed and you're living with so little hope, chances are that you don't have so many good, sweet memories of the past to make you comfortable. There's a good chance that you need the prospect of a brighter and more just future to pull you forward and help you endure the things that you're going through right now. If you look at the 1930s, when America was dealing with economic hardship and facing the rise of totalitarianism, you can find a number of images of this better future that they hoped for. Some of the more enduring images are found through songs like Pennies from Heaven or The Big Rock Candy Mountain, which was made famous in the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? We hear about things can be better than the established order, how God can make things better, how we can be better people, how the things that raise our anxiety levels and hold us back will be conquered once and for all. We know that those problems still remain over 80 years later. But people in this age are still hoping, just as they have been hoping for thousands of years. The 65th chapter of Isaiah reflects this dynamic well. Written as the third part of this book, it encompasses the idea that God stands ready to bring about a vision of heaven that surpasses everyone's hopes, much like a similar image that was adapted by John of Patmos in Revelation. To a people who are busily restoring their sense of faith and community in the face of invading armies and an uncertain future, such a vision would have fallen like water on the parched desert. People needed to hear this word, much as they need to hear it now. As things have been tense and worrisome, a world where such stressors have been put away is a very welcome sight indeed. Still, there are two things about this passage that stay with me. First, it reminds me that even when I'm having a good time, or at least coping, not everyone sees things the way I do. 
By now, we likely know how the recent election has gone. One side is happy and one is not. That's part of living in a world where we have different perspectives, even if they are often manufactured for us. All those good times I had when I was younger were fun, but they were also built on the oppression of people who I barely knew, but was taught the fear. Then, as now, large numbers of people were told that they didn't matter, and what few opportunities they had for a good life were usually stripped away and replaced with frustration and pain. Over 400 years and counting of oppression, a picture of a bright future where God has fixed all these problems can be very compelling. We need the promise of a world where the former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. We need a vision of a holy mountain that shows us the same promised land that Dr. King saw. In days like these, without such a vision to call us forward and offer us hope, what do we really have? Second, you might note that this bold vision is not given to us as something that might happen in a far-off, impossible time, but is instead imminent. The wording in the NRSV is that God is about to do these things, as opposed to someday doing them. Twice in this passage, God says, I am about to create. Toward the end, we're told that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The reign of heaven is coming faster than we think. It's obtainable right now. But it's not going to come unless we first embrace a vision of it and broadcast its call to everyone. We have no end of apocalyptic visions of pain and violence tearing on our souls. In fact, many of us are, perhaps even more so today, concerned about war, environmental collapse, hatred run wild, and any number of human catastrophes. There are even people going around telling us that if we burn everything down, Jesus can come back more quickly. In these times, we must remember that God does not send us visions of pain. God sends us visions of hope. We dare not take our eyes off them. We dare not withhold them from an overstressed and weary world. We dare not fail to march in solidarity with the oppressed as we move toward those visions. Be glad and rejoice forever in what God is creating. My word, David, that was an incredible word for us. I except for the French dressing on the cottage cheese. Now, <laughs> yeah, for real? What was now, that? Yeah, I, I, no, I don't now I'm that. worried about the eternal security of your soul. I mean, but um, I, I love that as a child because that's the, the diet my mother ate when she watched me at home when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, well, well, let's let we can come back to that. Um, <laughs> Do we have to? Yeah. No. <laughs> but you know what's what's so interesting to me is when the earth seems to be crumbling all around us. So many of us have a tendency to long for the good old days that really weren't all that good. We, we want to go back to what was when God seems to be saying, I'm going to create something so absolutely new that you won't even remember what, what was before. I don't really know what to do with that dichotomy, but that, but it, it is, it, it just, it strikes me as so strange that we who are people of the gospel, we who are 
people who believe in the resurrection, people who believe that life comes from death, we always want to go back to what was rather than trust God who is, all, who is about to create something incredible and new and wonderful. And that's really scary for us. But, but the way the psalmist talks about it, I long to see it. I, I don't think that we are comfortable with uncertainty when we talk about God. And I think that's part of the root of this, because this vision that God is giving us for a future, that we are supposed to be working with God to create, you know, this mm -hmm. coming reign of heaven, this, this imminent reign of heaven, that is something that we don't know and something where we don't have control. We, we can't massage the memory. You know, we can't walk around and say things like, truth is once and for all delivered to the saints, as some people are liable to do in certain religious circles. We have to admit that we don't control God and we don't control the vision. Uncertainty is about one of the most uncomfortable things for us as, as human beings. Um, but if we would trust in the uncertainty, what God is promising here is rather beautiful. I, I don't exactly know what it means, but I, but I think I like it. I'm looking at, um, I don't know what verse this is, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy <laughs> and its people as a delight. To, to think of ourselves as joy and delight, I mean, that's a beautiful thought. We have to let go of our discomfort to embrace that, I think. Daniel, I agree that it sounds wonderful. I also think it probably sounds scary. Hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is to allow us to think of ourselves as a joy and a delight. I think that's hard for most of us um, in, in the purest sense of it to be a joy. And delight, I think it gives to me, it gives the impression that you're doing nothing to earn this. Like you didn't do anything to be a joy. You just simply are. You didn't do anything to be a delight. It's simply how you're created. And so I think that part of the fear of allowing ourselves to strive to live into this purpose of God for our lives is some underlying fear that either maybe we won't be a joy and delight um, and that we have to continue to earn um, God's favor in our productivity. That's such a, I mean, if there's a pandemic for America, that's what it is. I also think that so many of us put our identity in the things that we do rather than who we are. And so I think that there's something about this. It's not, it is the loss of control. It is about the uncertainty. It is also about allowing ourselves to experience what it's like to be loved for love's sake, rather than to be loved for what we've done. Mm. Amen to that. That, that really speaks to me, mm -hmm. that we, yeah, we, we are taught our, our value is in what we produce. Yeah. Our, our value is in what we can earn. This is more tangential here, but if you ask someone, tell me about yourself, the first, the second, or the third thing will be their profession. That's right. Yeah. I'm Daniel. I'm a pastor. Right. Well, 
you know, uh, or or I'm John. I'm a banker. Rather, I mean, it's it's our, our identity is tied up in our capitalistic production, whereas to be created as a joy is just a statement of being. It's it's who you are. Okay, so I have a question yeah. for everybody. What do you think God takes delight in in you? My hesitancy there is we're not encouraged to think like that very often. Or I we don't permit ourselves to mm-hmm. or I don't I don't consider that much. I just think God watches what I do and laughs. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we all agree. Like, we all agree. <laughs> like, what is he doing? It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like, really? That's that's how you want to spend that's, your day? That's it. Well, that's yeah. what you're going to do. <laughs> Have at it. Well, not to answer your question, because I thought David had a great answer. But there's another side to the argument you made earlier, which I love what you're saying earlier. but. I can't help but think about the fact that there are people who seem to only be able to justify themselves before God if they can compare themselves to someone else and say, at least I'm better than them. Mm-hmm. You know, we we just recently talked about the story of the uh, Pharisee and a tax gatherer in worship and the idea of comparing yourself to someone else in order to feel justified. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea that God might take delight in that person that I'm absolutely dependent on looking down on to feel good about myself can be a really intimidating thing, a really scary thing. So what do you mean I can't put that person down anymore? What do you mean I have to treat them like an equal? Then what have I got? Right. And, and we're just too reluctant to let that go. Oh, yeah. I agree. Like that's all wrapped up in that too. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like... <laughs> If I'm not careful, I will operate on the this myth of scarcity that God only has so much love, and if yeah. it's split with that person, then then there's not enough for me. So I have to justify myself. I have to say, well, thank God I'm not like so and so. David Cassie, I've heard you talk about this. This this we act like there's not enough love, not enough healthcare, not enough. I've I've heard on the podcast you've got that that incredible litany, but. But God just doesn't operate that way. And I think all of this, like we're kind of we're kind of um, talking around the edges of this passage, I think, because all of these things that we're talking about become impacted if we choose to begin living in the reality of the Christian hope that we have. Mm-hmm. Right. When we choose to let ourselves live in a way that. We are not governed by a sense of scarcity. We don't run around in fear and anxiety that will never be enough, but rather we relax into the truth that we are children of God created in the image of God and that God is for us, not against us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that God is fully bringing all of us and all of creation to a place of wholeness Mm. that when we let ourselves live into that, 
we have begun to stop comparing ourselves to one another. We have begun to believe that we can delight God without producing a single thing. We can believe that though there are dark days, light is coming. And, and it changes the way that we function with one another and with ourselves and with our family and in our communities. Mm. And that's not only exciting for us as humanity to, to live into that kind of, well, heaven on earth, but I think it's exciting for God too, yeah. because as I read this, I may be reading this wrong, but this, for I'm about to, mm-hmm. it's almost like God's saying, I'm excited to create new heavens and a new earth. I'm excited to create Jerusalem as a joy. You know, the new revised. Oh, I read it. I read it with a really yeah, excited tone. Yeah. 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 And I mean, the, yeah. the new revised Southern version would be, I'm fixing to do this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, like I'm, I'm eager. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I hear eagerness in God's voice. Verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. It's, I'm, I'm eager. I'm excited. I am right there. Even before you call my name, I'm, I am there with you. And it's a beautiful vision, not for what, as you said, David Adams, not for what will be way off in the future, but what can be today, if we're willing to co-create it. This whole image of of God as a creative being. Um, of course, we, you know, we start Genesis with this uh, work of God in creating creation. And we, we see it throughout scripture, different places where the creative acts of God um, change things, transform people, um, up, up in systems, uh, bring justice, bring hope. The, the, the creative activity of God, I think, is something that um, we do struggle with because we're so often presented with an image of God as fixed. Uh, you know, God is unchanging. God is, uh, and certainly we want to believe in the steadfastness of God, God's stability. But to be creative, you've got to be, <laughs> you got to be able to make something new that didn't exist before. <laughs> and and so it's it's also I think exciting to read in this passage about how God is excited and is about to create something new. Um, because I think for many of us, it, that's a really hopeful thing. We would love to see some new things. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that would be nice to see made new. And maybe, of course, uh, part of what gives God joy is to see us being part of that creative work looking around for those who, uh, for whom a new creative act can be transformative, that we do like God. You know, we, we try to create something new and exciting in, in the lives of others. Um, I, I have this, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how it fits exactly, but I'm just going to put it out there. But so I was a youth minister for, for way too long. And one of the things that I actually really enjoyed about teenagers is how doggone unpredictable they were and and creative. I mean, in spite of all my planning, and I can plan, 
they would find ways <laughs> to get around the rules or to get around my schedule or to make something happen. I thought I had, you know, drawn the lines around. And that creativity, that ability um, to think outside the box is is something to celebrate. And And I see it in teenagers. I don't know what we do to our young people that kind of saps that out of them <laughs> over time. But um, but it, it is something to enjoy. And some people keep it, right? Yeah, the, the only other thing I did not point out, I thought about it, but didn't in the introduction, was that as you read these things and the promise of this new Jerusalem that God's created where we all these things are wonderful, you can't help but wonder what kind of world would we have if people of faith were to say, you know, this is beautiful. Why don't we see what we can do to help God make this right now? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially things like healthcare that will allow people to live longer, you know, which there's a passage here that talks about someone who dies at 100 years will be considered a youth. What if we really push it to try to do that? What if we push it so people could live in safe homes, as it talks about in here, and, and eat, enjoy the products of their own labor and you know, not labor for nothing, but have something for their children, you know, not have children that are born with no hope. I mean, what if that's what we really dedicate ourselves to do as God's children? Well, Daniel, you referenced earlier, um, it, because we have had conversations about this notion of scarcity and, and how God is a God of abundance and plenty. And I, I may have used this quote before, so if so, Enjoy it again. <laughs> but um, there is, there's, when you were talking earlier about this, and, I, and I'm reading this, this text for us today and thinking about how for even God, there is an abundance of creativity and an abundance of hope, an abundance that overflows in how God works in our world and with us. So uh, Pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber has written about how different God is from us and, and about this abundance. And here's how she says it. She said, But I wonder if, like the disciples, we too make the mistake of not always realizing how different God is from us and what a good thing that is. That we have a God who can actually feed so many on so little. A God who created the universe out of nothing that can put flesh on dry bones nothing, that can put life in a dry womb of nothing. Nothing is God's favorite material to work with. Perhaps God looks upon that which we dismiss as nothing or insignificant or worthless and says, Ha! Now that I can do something with. May we join in the work of this creative God in bringing joy to God in the way we treat each other and shape this world we together live in. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.